Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Hello and welcome to the Mummy Movie Podcast, where in this episode, we shall be looking at The Mummy's Curse from 1944. This is the final film in a quadrilogy of Mummy movies produced by Universal Pictures between 1940 and 1944. It was also the last full-length Mummy movie to be released in the 1940s. In terms of the format of the episode, first I should give a little background information on the film. Then there will be a section on the historical accuracy. And finally, I shall review the film, saying what I like and dislike about it, and just giving my overall impressions. So, let us not waste any more time. Once again, the mummy Caris has risen, and now haunts the swamps of New England. Last time we saw Caris, he actually succeeded in his mission to find his love of three thousand years, the Princess Ananka. Will he find her again, or will his plan be foiled? Let us enter the swamp. Let us creep through the monastery found in this film. Let us face the mummy's curse. The opening music for this film is the same as that found in The Mummy's Ghost before it, and is stock music composed by Frank Skinner. However, outside of that, the music was composed by William Lava and Paul Sortell. This is actually the second Universal Mummy movie released in 1944. Whilst The Mummy's Ghost was released in June 1944, The Mummy's Curse was released in December, giving some indication of how quickly these films were made. Once again, this film makes extensive use of stock footage from The Mummy 1932 and The Mummy's Hand, and it is quite clear that it is being used as padding to get the film past the hour mark. Further, the shot of the swamp during the opening credits can also be found in The Wolfman from 1941 and The Ghost of Frankenstein from 1942. 
One interesting point here is that whilst The Mummy's Tomb and Ghost, the second and third film in the series, were set 30 years after The Mummy's Hand, this film is set 25 years after The Mummy's Tomb and Ghost. So technically speaking, this film is set in the mid-90s, although it does still very much look like the 1940s. It is noticeable that the coffin of Ananka, along with several of the other props, have been reused from the 1932 Mummy movie. This is not surprising, as throughout the series, many props have been reused. For instance, the sarcophagus of Ananka, seen in The Mummy's Ghost, was also reused from The Mummy 1932. This is the final time we will see Long Cheney Jr. as the Mummy Carlis, and according to Virginia Christine, who replaced Ramsey Ames in the role of Ananka, Lon Chaney was actually incredibly drunk during much of the filming. Apparently, due to safety concerns, he had to be replaced with a stand-in for several of the scenes where he was carrying her. It is now time to move on to the accuracy of the film. Firstly, it is worth noting that as with every film in this quadrilogy, Carlisle, the mummy, is modelled after the mummy of Ramesses III. When it comes to the coffin of Carlisle, it is noticeable that although there are a few potential mistakes, some of the hieroglyphs do actually make sense. When his coffin is opened, you can see a line of hieroglyphs, and in this instance, these are read from left to right. I am uncertain on the first three hieroglyphs, and to me it looks like they may be in the wrong order. However, the last one is badly drawn and I may be misreading it. If I am correct, this first part reads Setep en re nupet henna. This translates roughly as He whom Ra has chosen, Lord of the Sky, together with. Unfortunately, the mummy Carlisle's shoulder is then in the way of the next couple of hieroglyphs. A little further along, we see M. Hetapu. I feel I cannot see enough of this word as once again, the mummy is blocking my view, but at face value, this could be translated as something like, those who are at peace. I was actually pleasantly surprised that this could be translated to any degree. During the scene in the monastery, they also say that Ananka and Caris are over 3,000 years old and date them to the reign of Amenathus. This is correct as the last pharaoh to rule with that name, who later changed his name to Akhenaten as mentioned in the previous episode, died in around 1330-ish BCE. However, it is also worth noting that in all of the previous films in this series, they have dated his reign to almost 3000 years ago. Therefore, although they get this correct in this film, it is a point that they have gotten continuously wrong in the rest of the series. So there are some continuity errors here. Also during the scene in the monastery, it is explained that because he defiled the tombs of ancient Egypt, Caris had his tongue cut out so that the ears of the gods would not be assailed by his unholy curses. It is then stated that all evidence of Caris's identity was destroyed. This is half right. Essentially, the part where they cut out his tongue to stop the gods from hearing his curses is a purely fictional creation. However, the idea that they would destroy all traces of him is plausible. Essentially, the ancient Egyptians believed that a person's identity was strongly linked to their name. When someone was particularly hated in Egypt, they would remove their names from inscriptions and things like that. 
By doing so, they were essentially removing their memory from existence. And so, they would not just stop existing in this life, they would cease to exist in the afterlife also. As I have mentioned him quite a few times in this series, this was done to Akhenaten after his death, and it was also done to the person who was likely Akhenaten's son, a man you may know, Tutankhamun. Finally, in the historical accuracy section, during the flashback scene where they extensively reuse footage from The Mummy 1932, Dr Zandab, one of the two main villains in the film and the High Priest of Arkham, says that Calice took the sacred Tamales from beneath the statue of the goddess Isis. Although the statue does have some of the iconography of Isis, such as a sun disc enclosed by cow horns, the statue is clearly of a man and thus not Isis. Now I shall move on to the review of the film. During this section, I will simply say what I liked and disliked about the film, and just give my overall impressions. During the last film, the mission of the villains was to take the bodies of Carlis and Ananka back to their own tombs in Egypt so that Carlis can protect her for eternity. When it comes to this film, however, the main villains of the film want to take the bodies of Ananka and Carlis back to their own tombs in Egypt so that he can protect her for eternity. It's basically the same plot. However, in this one, Ananka is alive and unwilling to go, so at least you do have some reason to disagree with what the villains are doing. As those who listened to last week's episode will know, The Mummy's Ghost, the film before this one, ended with Caris carrying the body of Ananka into a bog, where they both sunk, preserving them for eternity. This film starts with that bog being drained. I thought that this was a fine way of starting the film. Once they have drained part of the bog, Two people arrive from the Scripps Museum who want to find the bodies of Conis and Ananka so that they can take them back to the museum for studying. However, one of these men, Dr Zandab, is secretly the High Priest of Arkham and one of the three main villains in the film alongside his servant Ragheb and of course Conis the mummy. In terms of the villains, they turn the goofiness up to a hundred in this one. Not only is the swampy setting incredibly typical of a 1940s horror film, but the villains also make an abandoned monastery their lair which comes across like Dracula's castle. This did make my eyes roll, but I've said frequently during this podcast I quite like goofy stuff, and I got a bit of a kick out of this. Another small aspect of this film I did quite like was that whilst Caris was killing his second victim, Bertha, the owner of the local pub, you see a cloud of dust as he grabs her. This was a nice touch and it did make him seem appropriately ancient. Although this series is riddled with continuity errors, I do appreciate that this film continues the theme of the mummy strangling his victims whilst leaving mould-like marks on their necks. The final aspect of this film I enjoyed was the way Ananka rose from the dead. You see her hand raised from the bog, and then slowly and shakily she climbs out. The fact that she is caked in mud to the point where even her eyes are glued shut is incredibly creepy and her movements come across as genuinely unnatural and unnerving. Apparently, this was achieved by slightly speeding up the film, and I did feel a few hairs raise on the back of my neck. This is the only scene in all four films of this series that I found even remotely scary, and I would argue that it was actually the best scene in all four films as well. Unfortunately, for me at least, this is where the positive aspects of the film end. Firstly, 
Although I loved the way Ananka rose from the swamp, it is also very noticeable that about a minute later, and long before she has had a chance to have a wash, the mud that was covering her has vanished, and clearly she has been to the hairdressers. Also, Ananka's character feels very underexplained. She is supposed to be the love of Caris for three thousand years, and yet she is constantly running away from him. She does talk a little bit about being stuck between two worlds, and as people who listened to last week's episode will know, during the last film, it was actually one of her descendants that slowly reincarnated into Ananka. Maybe it is the case that she is split between two lives, with the descendant of Ananka being scared of Caris, whilst Ananka herself is in love with him. But the film does not do a very good job of explaining this. Further, for some reason she is powered by the sun and keeps fainting every time a cloud moves over it. Once again, this is not explained at all. As mentioned in the introduction, a large part of the early film simply reuses footage from The Mummy 1932 and The Mummy's Hand. They use this footage to clumsily explain the last three films in far more detail than they need to. That same time could have instead be devoted to explaining Ananka's character and motivations. On to the next point. The mummy in this one is less scary than ever, and the fact that Lon Chaney was drunk for the majority of the film is pretty obvious. The mummy by its nature is supposed to be unsteady on its feet, but there is something that just feels off with him in this one. Several scenes in this film are hilariously bad. In one scene, Ananka faints by the side of the road. A car stops to help her, and as they are loading her into the car, Carice, the mummy, is slowly moving towards them. The characters take their time getting Ananka into the car, they put on their coats and have a little conversation, and I feel that this is supposed to be scary as we see the mummy in the background. But the visible frustration on the mummy's face as they slowly move away from him, not even realising he is there, just comes off as comical. It was a little too goofy even for me, although I did laugh a lot at Carrie's clenching and shaking his fist in frustration. On several occasions in the film, Ananka just jogs past the mummy as he is chasing her and easily gets away. This really emphasises what an unscary villain Carrie's is and makes all of the people who get murdered by him seem incredibly foolish. Finally, at the end of the film, Ananka who has been alive for most of the film, is placed in a coffin and appears to be dead. The three people who find her have all interacted with her and tried to help her during the course of the film, but none of them seem upset by her demise. This film received average to poor reviews from both contemporary and modern critics, although it is not the worst reviewed film in the series. For me, however, this is my least favourite of the quadrilogy. I actually enjoyed The Mummy's Hand and Ghost on some level, and although I did not particularly like The Mummy's Tomb, the plot did at least make some sense. This film, in my opinion, was a mess. Once again, if you like this film, then that is great. We all have different tastes, after all, but it was not for me. Just a note before I finish this episode... Normally, I release a new episode every Monday. However, this week there will also be a bonus mini-episode for Tuesday where I shall have a look at Abbott and Costello Meet the Mummy. This film comes from 
1955, and it is more of a slapstick horror comedy mummy movie. After that, there will be a normally scheduled episode for Monday, where I shall examine the first of the Hammer Horror mummy movies, The Mummy from 1959 with the excellent Christopher Lee. Thank you very much for listening. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.